and welcome to series two of My Life in Design, brought to you by the DBA and design-focused PR agency, Red Setter. I'm Claire Blyers, co-founder of Red Setter, and in series two, I'm speaking to 10 people shaping the world of design, about what first inspired them and how they formed their careers. Today, I'm here with Paul Vabaxi, co-founder of the rather fantastic Dixon Baxi. They work with the likes of ITV and the recent ITVX, diverse people like British Land, Samsung TV, Audible, Google, Headspace, sports brands like Everton and AC Milan, entertainment brands like Hulu, Netflix, the list goes on. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very nice to be here and, and so lovely to be invited. Oh, it's really good to speak to you. So I thought we could just get straight in of going back to basically when you were at school or the moment when you first realised design was a thing you could base a career around. What got you interested in it in the first place? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's a long time back, so I have to brush away the cobwebs. Uh, But to be honest, actually, I think I was, I mean, look, like most kids interested in drawing and, and, you know, sketching and so on. And, And I guess fast forwarding to probably high school, we had an art class like you do. Yeah. And it was there that I just found out of all the lessons, uh, history, maths and science and so on, I did enjoy some of those, but it was art that I felt most comfortable. Yeah. And in that, there was no real sense of design or graphic design. You were just kind of sketching and drawing, maybe a book cover or so on. And there was no real, I guess, conversation about where that might lead, but it certainly felt the most fun. You know, I just really enjoyed that. And and one of the other things that I guess looking back and, and something I've spoken, Simon, my uh, co-founder, partner, uh, has heard this story a lot of times. But uh, when I was 10, I was taken to see the film Tron. If you, if yeah, you know, I remember uh, that. 1982. And I love that movie. Yeah, it's a sunny movie. And I think, you know, there are loads of uh, people at Pixar and uh, around the world that cite that movie as something that set the benchmark for uh, visual effects and so on. But I was taken by my uncle Ooh. and I didn't know what I was going to see and I, I saw it and I really didn't understand the film. But I just remember being taken by the visuals. Yeah. Uh, this kind of, you know, the stark CG backgrounds and these kind of neon blue characters. And it's just so beautifully stunning. I think that stayed with me. And, you know, I've talked about that film many times. One of my uh, top five, probably, for influences. Oh, I want to watch that again now. Yeah, it's, it is fantastic. And I guess fast-forwarding in time, that would be a point at which I felt there was something just really exciting about creating things, the visual yeah. medium, and, and, and I was drawn to film. My dad was really into film and still is, and we watched film noir and uh, all sorts of things. So I think I was just steeped in visual culture. And it was those things that I guess led me to, to think about, I guess, design. And I had a, there was a pivot point actually when mm. I was at high school, uh, stay and finish my GCSEs, go and do A-levels or do a BTEC, National right. Diploma. And that was a more sort of vocational focus yeah, on design. I and I, no, I was just really excited about that. And some of my friends at school went and did that. Where were you at school? What, what, I went what to uh, school in Harrow. In, oh, okay. uh, in London. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up in London, so you've got uh, South London and North London. A lot of choice to where you want to go and what you want to do Absolutely. next. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I, I will say I didn't go down that route. Uh, my folks were 
uh, terrified <laughs> of the <laughs> fact that I was uh, really into this uh, this idea of design or graphic design. Um, so common. Yeah, they were really worried. They they were like, oh my God, this is not really the right direction yeah. for you. And maybe you should do something to do with business and business studies. Definitely. So I ended up doing XMA levels yeah. uh, in English, um, business studies and art. And to appease the folks, really. Yeah, it's really common. That's what I'm trying to sort of get around at the moment. Yeah. People's parents saying to them, don't be so ridiculous. You need a proper career like a doctor or an accountant or something that they can see the progress on. That's right. Whereas if you don't know what design is, yeah. it can easily go into the sort of penniless artist kind of box. They were terrified of that. Of like, and, yeah. and, you know, I don't know if it's... Um, a cultural stereotype, but I, I, properly I can say it, is that, you know, my, my folks, uh, my dad is a super smart uh, engineer, civil engineer, and then yeah. he went on to work on um, large kind of construction projects, attempts barrier and then shopping malls and all sorts of things. And uh, as a family, you know, the wider family, they're doctors, lawyers and, and engineers yeah. and so on. So I do come from a, a kind of an academic background uh, and I think it's sort of logical progression yeah. that you would pursue that. But to be honest, actually, I guess I just had a, I did have a burning desire. It was something that said, I have to do this. That's brilliant. Um, and that was, I didn't know why, but I just felt really excited every time I thought about, I don't know, creating something. And yeah. at that point, I didn't know that there was a career in it. You know, this is yeah. sort of early 90s and it wasn't really talked about. You know. Branding today is so different to how it was isn't it I mean obviously you have brands you have supermarket brands and Mars bars and you know all that kind of stuff that seems really obvious but certainly it's a different place to it is today entirely different um you you know I wouldn't ever have thought of them as brands you know they weren't spoken about in that way it's hard to think about the the time before iPhones and social media and so on and this is this is before email so it's a, a long time ago and you know, the things that we see now, and we're so used to seeing brands as part of our lives, I never considered it like that. Yeah. And it was never spoken about in that way. And there was a, not even a mysticism because in my head, it didn't even exist. And I think for a lot of people. So it was an exciting kind of learning journey as to, to what art is, what creativity is, um, mm. how you can express yourselves, that there is even a place to, to go, you know, at university to, to follow that track. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How did you move from your A-levels to where did you go after that? What's the Well, uh, A-levels, I went to, actually I have a story about that. So I I did my A-levels and I had an opportunity to uh, go to university. So I knew at that point I'm going to pursue visual communication design. So I ended up going to Middlesex University. Right. But um, there was, uh, I think I was talking to uh, a coach at uh, my A-level college and they said, you know what, I wouldn't bother applying because you're not going to get in. Really? Yeah. And I was like so incensed by that. And I think, you know, now you, you fast forward now, I think that's a, a terrible thing to say to a student to kind of knock them down uh, if they have an ambition or a desire. And Why did you think you wouldn't get in? What's the... Well, I, I think, you know, I, at that time I was uh, doing a lot of airbrushing and yeah. you know, kind of really into fantasy art and mm. so on. And I hadn't uh, brushed up on my life drawing and all the things that you might need. And I was, I was kind of finding myself, I thought I had a real passion for it. And I think they felt that I wouldn't make it in, into a university and maybe I should do a more vocational approach. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I think, you know, through life, 
uh, and how I, I operate as an individual, I think those things fire me up the opposite. I, I feel like, well, yeah, if you good. think that, well, I'm going to actually prove that wrong. Yeah, I like that. Um, so actually, I, I would thank that person for propelling me in the, in the yeah. right direction. So I ended up actually getting into Middlesex University. I did four years there. So it started with the foundation course. If anyone doesn't know, that's an opportunity to look at ceramics and uh, mark making and life drawing and fashion and all of those things. So you could really just explore what creativity means. And, you know, coming from uh, doing English literature, business studies and art, it felt really eye-opening. Yeah. Not necessarily knowing why we were doing things. So I think you know, looking back, a bit more context would have been useful. Yeah. It was just a really nice opportunity of trying new things. And then that led to us focusing. So you do three months of that, and then the rest of the, the year is, we'll pick a track. So, you know, I went with design and graphic design. Yeah. So the focus was on delivering on that. And then I, I stayed on at Middlesex University. Some folks went to Falmouth and Ravensbourne and to Martins and so on. Yeah. Um, but I stayed on and continued for three years to do a BA in, in design. Oh, wow, um, okay. So that was, that was really interesting, focus mm. on uh, type and uh, just composition and all the root things that you need to, to be a designer. God, that, that's an interesting question going off course slightly, but from the, I mean, nowadays, do you think people need a degree to be a designer? It's, re- it's really hard, isn't it? Because it's a very different situation when we were at university, we didn't have to pay for it in the same way. That's right. So now you end up huge amounts of debt, but... I still yeah. like the idea of that sort of training. It's... Yeah, I, I think that those foundational things are really powerful. You yeah. Know, we, we talk about that now, even in the studio, that they're kind of foundational things uh, in craft and understanding typography and composition and ideas that are baked in. And you have this amazing time over three years to really just uh, find yourself, yeah. find your voice, be expressive. You don't have to... Uh, worry about time in the same way that you have to do in the real world against deadlines and so on, although they they all exist. So I think there's real value in that. Yeah. And particularly in finding who you are as a creative in your voice. Yeah, um, right. So I, I think from for that reason, university or, or being in that environment, uh, making new friends that might last a lifetime, all those things are really powerful. Oh, yeah, definitely. Some um, of my best friends uh, are in university. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I feel, feel very bad for uh, the, those students in COVID times that didn't get the opportunity oh, of mixing with everyone. I think, you know, that's a, a real kind of miss because it's a big part of life. I guess to answer mm. your question, does it is it a mandatory thing? No, I think... Um, if you don't follow that path, that's okay because there's so many things out in the world that you can pick up. And I think some of the, the best creatives are self-taught as well. Uh, you know, whether they have just picked things up on YouTube or, you know, tried making things. And you know, we've met people that have uh, learned through the School of Hard Knocks, just trying things. And, that, and I guess I admire the persistence. Yeah, that There is a passion and drive to continue to improve and make stuff. But I, I can't deny that, you know, school or uh, vocational or, or just the training ground uh, and yeah. playtime that you have as a student is is a really valuable time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd agree. Yeah, playtime, I think, is particularly Absolutely. important. Yeah, I think, yeah, we try and get that back. It's like being, yes. being a kid uh, and, and trying to hold on to what it was like when you were free to play. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, at, at university, you may not think you have that. Yeah. And then you get into the real world and you go, hmm, actually, that was a fun time to try and reclaim that. 
yeah. uh, in your daily commercial work as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. So how did you get from being at Middlesex University? What did sure. you decide? What did you decide you want to do? How did you get your first job? And yeah. how did you get noticed, basically? I knew I wanted a job. So I think um, we didn't have those kind of internship programs at, at university. So uh, I didn't get an opportunity to kind of work in the field in, in those three years. That's so, interesting. So what, I wonder why they didn't have them. I don't know. You know, I, I think they're really, really great. And, and we, um, since we started Dixon Maxi, we work with LCC uh, and yeah. have partnered with them to have internships at Dixon Maxi. And a, a lot of our interns have ended up staying. And, you know, those programs are fantastic because you, A, it infuses the studio with new energy and yeah. kind of perspective and diversity. And the second thing is, is that for the student, it just gives them an opportunity to see what the real world is like and yeah. they can take that back. It wasn't in, in, in our course. I'm not quite sure why. And I think it's super valuable. So what I did try and do in the summer break is try and get into some studios. Unfortunately, I, I lucked out and didn't, didn't necessarily get in any. But on leaving, I uh, was really persistent. I, um, I made a CV. Uh, and uh, had my portfolio. It was all printed back then, Uh, no no Google Slides or whatever. (laughs) And um, I decided to hand deliver. I had my list of 20 agencies that I I wanted to, I thought were doing great work. That's good. They were really interesting. And I I went unannounced and hand delivered you know, my, my CV. And oh, I love that. You actually hand-delivered it as well. Yeah. So you I just packaged get it up. And... I, I kind of, you know, used recycled cardboard and I did this whole thing that made it feel like a product. I said, you know what, I need to do something that stands out. So I crafted this thing and I, I hand-delivered them. And sometimes I got past the front desk. I met a creative or a creative director. They gave me 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. That's mate. So just in that popping into the studio sure. and saying, that's brilliant. Yeah. Isn't that so much better than just send in 100 emails out today, equivalent to sending 100 emails out and thinking, oh, nothing's happening, nothing, I'm not getting attention. Absolutely. So I think that was one way of getting attention. And I I remember going in and even if I didn't get past the front desk, it was always like the peek into the studio. Yeah. I got really excited. I remember seeing one in Clerkenwell. I I think, um, I can't remember the the name of it. Actually, maybe I do now. It was was Williams and FOA, I think. Uh, and I don't think they exist anymore as an agency. But yeah. I remember peeking in and I was like, wow, they're having lunch together. And I remember that image. And I was like, well, that looks like a cool place to work. Yeah. Um, other places felt corporate. And and anyway, I guess what, what happened that resulted in my first internship. I got an internship at a company called Michael Peters. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. So, so that cool. was... Uh, in Notting Hill. Very good uh, place to start. Yeah, it was great. It was really cool. And I was there for three weeks, which ended up becoming three months. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it was really exciting because it felt like a very real place. And it was on two floors. However, my first uh, couple of weeks were, can you tidy the bookshelves? So I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> like, you want to unleash your creative brilliance. Absolutely. You know, I want to get into things. But, you know, I think you've got to take everything with a sense of proactivity and, yeah. and find joy in that. So what was really interesting about that was I got to look through all these amazing design books uh, and spend time with Yeah, that. okay. And I think um, any internship and something that I say and, and we say to anyone that comes is, you know, make the most of everything. Everything you do can be great or you can find something from that. So Mm. be curious, ask questions, 
you know, use the time you have to learn something about the agency or whatever. So, so that's what I did. And, and anyway, I ended up being able to work on a few things. And that was fantastic, I guess, grounding. And two things happened. One, I realized that that type of agency wasn't for me. Yeah, I felt totally it was too out. corporate. Yeah. I was like, hmm, annual reports and so on. It just felt a little bit slow yeah. for me. And it didn't feel like I could be expressive. Number two, I met a chap called Ben. And he said, I made good friends with him. And he said, hmm, you might want to chat to a chap called Simon. Mm-hmm. Simon Dixon. And I, I kind of thought, okay, I'll, I'll log that. And I didn't pay it any mind because then I got an internship at Saatchi and Saatchi. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, so so keep in touch with your friends at uni. Yeah. Uh, because a friend at uni, she was working in the design team at uh, Saatchi and Saatchi in Charlotte Street in London and said, uh, I can get you in. So I said, I'm going to take that. Wow, that's like dream placement. Yeah. That sort of, yeah. That was great. Right. That was super exciting. And, you know, I was one of the few uh, who could use a Mac. Yeah. So I had this kind of superpower in an agency <laughs> that was, you know, on top of its game, um, but they didn't really know how to kind of maximize the use of a computer and all of those things. Mm. So what was fascinating is I got to work on real campaigns uh, for Toyota RAV4 and a few other things. So it was just really exciting to be making real things. Yeah. Um, but then I realized that that wasn't what I wanted either. Yeah. I didn't necessarily. So I, I think internships are a great way of uh, figuring out what you want to do. Yeah. But also learning from them. And then another thing happened where I was flicking through, you know, a magazine and, uh, you know, I realized that the company that um, Ben uh, said Simon was part of uh, was moving to London. So I reached out and I gave him a call. And uh, subsequently they uh, had a great conversation with Simon. It was like this, where we talk, we came in for a 10-minute chat and it was two hours about movies yeah. and oh, brilliant. all sorts of things. And we really bonded in, in that. So you didn't know each other and you just didn't know hooked other. up by... Yeah, hooked up, uh, hooked up by Ben and didn't know each other. So a really exciting thing happened. And I see these as all pivots in life. Yeah. Where Saatchi and Saatchi offered me a job. And, uh, you know, Simon and his boss at the time, another Simon, offered me a job. And it was, do I go for the ad agency with more money? Big uh, name. Big name. Ultimate, yeah. Yeah, I'll probably work on some really great things. But is it as creative as I think it will be or should be? Would I just work on the Mac and maybe not get to work on campaigns in, in the fullness. Yeah. Or there's this very small company that seems to be doing really cool and crazy stuff. That feels very exciting. I'm not going to get paid as much, but it feels like maybe that's going to be more creatively fulfilling. Yeah. So, so that's where I went. And, uh, you know, that I, I felt that was a turning point because then I got to, you know, work with Sai. Um, oh, I love that. It's a brave move. Yeah. But like, obviously the very, the right thing to do. Must have been hard not at that age. I think I might have yeah. been blinded by the... I was 23, 24. Yeah. Yeah, Sarchi, was, lights, so. yeah I, I, um, I thought long and hard about it. Yeah. Talked to my folks, talked to my friends. Um, and, and it was, you know, and, and at the time, the, the money that they were offering, which is really tiny nowadays, <laughs> felt like, well, actually, that, that's a good salary to start on. And, but I, I think I chose, I made the right choice. It, yeah. was, it was at that point, I think, you know, you, you're so young and, of course, you know, the bills to pay and, and maybe you want to get your first flat or w- whatever it is in life that you want to do. 
but I, I was like, I think it has to be the work. It has to be a place that I feel excited to go. Yeah. And maybe I'll have, I won't be a little piece of the machine. I can have influence. And it wasn't about, um, it was about creative expression. Yeah. Can I do cool things? And that was what guided me. Yeah, okay. So that yeah. was my little kind of hop, skip and a jump from A-levels to uni to just going out there and trying to meet people to getting my first gig. So that's how you and Simon first started working together. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So, and that was, that was 1995. Okay. So 27 years ago. Yeah. It's a long time. And then um, you set Dixon Baxi up. I mean, in 2001. 2001, okay. Yeah. So 22 years ago. So you've got five-year periods. Of- That's right. Five, seven, seven, yeah, 1995 to 2001. So six, seven, seven-year period. And yeah. what happened was we, um, worked together in London on some great stuff, you know, launch of, uh, PlayStation one and, and a pretty relentless journey. It was kind of a time when it was just, you know, school of hard knocks. You just yeah. work, 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 work. And it was, in one sense, pretty brutal. Uh, in nowadays, I guess you would kind of say, wow, you didn't do anything else but work. Yeah. I think the balance was, it was the only thing I knew, you know, at the time. And but it was really exciting because we were making cool things, um, you know, video games, music, and, and all sorts of things. Yeah. And it was a rapid sort of rise. So I, was, I started as a junior designer, designer, senior designer, creative director in the space of three years. What was the company called? It was called Attic. Attic, right, yeah. Okay, yeah, of course. And it, it, it had its own meteoric rise and yeah. its kind of ups and downs and its kind of journey. But what was really interesting about it, I think, was the freedom that we got as creatives. Mm. And I think that was really powerful. It was, how do we make cool things and, you know, just go for it? Yeah. And, you know, so from being a sort of graphic designer, I think at the core, I still am, it was about learning how to deal with motion, with clients, how to present work, how to lead a team. And I tell you, a lot of stumbles. I mean, no one was teaching me or us anything we had to figure it out yeah and uh you know lots of dead ends and making mistakes and so on but you as i say the school of hard knocks you just work things out yeah so i stayed in london for a while and then i i then went to sydney in office in sydney so uh-huh. that was amazing so from, from really growing up in london having never lived anywhere else to yeah. moving all the way to the other side of the world was hugely eye-opening that's really so cool. exciting that's one of the many things i love about design and careers in design you can yeah. just travel the world with it as well it's uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. easy and to do it's easy to do and it was liberating and, and you know it was really the first time I properly lived away from home Ooh. um you know had my own sort of space and, and environment and you know we were again continuing that thing in the sun in the sea in the sand in, yeah. in Sydney uh, so it was it was pretty uh you can't complain it was so exciting and then I had an opportunity of either staying in Sydney or going to New York. And that was another sort of pivot point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what an amazing oh, opportunity. Yeah, it was definitely. <laughs> How so do you decide between pretty good the dilemma. two? So uh, it was a pretty good dilemma, but I felt that there was just, again, a sort of uh, never lived in New York. Or I love America for yeah. uh, some of the more um, uh, kind of just the Americana things. Yeah, me and too. Um, I felt that New York would have an energy and a spirit, and I wanted to see what that felt like. So 
Uh, I did a two-year, two-and-a-half-year stint in New York. Ah, fantastic. And that, that was amazing. And that was, again, another sort of thrown in the deep end, being a, a CD of a, a really growing team. There's 45 people in the studio. There were five studios internationally. Um, yeah. And again, you know, at a very young age, I was 26, 27, 28, to try and deal with that, trying yeah. to make great work, trying to figure out how to even motivate and lead teams. It was very yeah. difficult. Um, and not easy and, you know, trying, you know, to, to be a leader, a creative leader versus a doer and that transition is yeah, very difficult. Absolutely. And it's, to be honest, a lifetime of learning it doesn't stop. I think it's an industry that changes so much. There, yeah. there isn't a tried and tested, not like being a doctor where you think, well, at this point you can learn this and teach people this and motivate them like that. There's, no. It's all new ground in a way, isn't it? That's it always what... is. And I, I think, you know, the world has changed considerably since then. Absolutely. And I think the respect for people, work life, the um, empathy, you know, is, is, is so much better now. And I think it's, it feels right. And so... You know, for me personally, it's it's exciting to continue to to learn, yeah. to uh, respond to what's happening in the world, but also our team uh, to soak up new ways of doing things. And I think that constant improvement is something that yeah, I'd recommend to everyone. You know, yeah. you're not in stasis. You have to you have to learn and grow and be open to analyzing yourself yeah. and, and saying, well, actually, maybe I could do things better or another way and accepting some failures and seeing them as opportunities definitely yeah i don't think that ever stops does it no i think yeah the idea of constantly evaluating how you're doing what you're doing better and sure i know that i still do and you still do as well of just yeah working out what's next absolutely i think that's for the studio and that's you know fundamentally for yourself as well yeah and i think you know i've changed over that time but it was i've got to say you know traveling and being in that kind of melting pot of raw creativity was super exciting because it, 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 it meant that we moved from design to think about brand and story and strategy yeah. uh, to um, direct commercials and short films and be on set to you know, run a project, to run a team, to uh, work a studio, to be in board meetings, to look at numbers and understand yeah. the mechanics of, a, of how a, a studio works is, is fascinating and scary at the same time. Yeah. And so I would say that that sort of period was sort of almost a, a sort of crash course in, in what it is to be a creative. And I think it, it really gave us wings to um, essentially find ourselves and, and push beyond what we thought we are as creatives. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, that's really, I think, been a, a sort of mantra is that you, you think you hit a wall, but actually there's something past it and you can grow beyond that. And that's the whole comfort zone thing definitely stay uncomfortable yeah stay uncomfortable that's very good mantra to have that's the just the whole the world changes so much you've got to change with it yeah you should be we always try and like internally at red setter try and be on the cusp of slightly uncomfortable but not so uncomfortable that you're thinking well i've no idea what it's just like (laughs) slightly pushing yourself all the time yeah yeah i I think so And, and to be honest there's there's you you might need a reminder from others as well. And I think yeah. that's what's great about the partnership I have with Simon is that we do that for each other. You know, Definitely. if, if I, um, I, I'm feeling down, he's up, and, and if he's not sure, I'm up. And, and we have that balance and we push and pull. Yeah. And I think somehow, you know, it's the pieces fit. And whether that's a, a mentor or a coach or your team or your, your partner or friends or whatever, yeah. you, you do need that objectivity to say, actually, hang on a minute, 
you know, maybe yeah. you need to look at this differently. Absolutely. I think business partnerships are the, for me personally, the key to it. I know there's lots of very successful, you know, one person That's right. run agencies, but it just, it is that thing of having someone bounce ideas off yeah. and yeah. one up, one down. It is, yeah. And, and you know, we've been doing this for 22 years, so it's a, it's a long time. And, yeah. You know, it is a, it is a relationship in, in, in a deep way and you have to give and take. Um, you know, like anything, we've had our sort of pushes and pulls and ups and downs and, and moments. More than anything, it's about how we stay uh, our version of excellence, you yeah. know, what decisions we make on the journey. And I think they're the tension points where, you know, are we really doing what we want to do, hope to do, uh, is, is our version of excellence. Yeah. Uh, and I think those are the things that are also pivot points for the agency over those 20 years. And and certainly uh, as creatives and as creative partners and business partners, how we we manage that relationship and give ourselves space, but also, you know, use the superpower of us together. Yeah, and definitely. I think that's something we say often is that it's not Dixon and Baxi as individuals, it's Dixon and Baxi as an idea and an entity. Yeah. And it's the space between us that hopefully the team uh, feel empowered to be, be part of. Yeah, yeah, I think that comes through. So where, where did it all start when you had the idea? Was there a moment where you had to leap and Sure, there was, jobs? yeah. That's another pivot point in life. So um, I, I was happily working in New York, but I, I knew that there was sort of a sense that, you know, maybe things were about to change. It was around the time of um, 2001, you know, the, the dot-com bust. Yeah. Uh, things were difficult. 9-11 happened. Um, yeah, you know, It was a really challenging time being in New York at that time as well. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so so there was a lot to think about. You there when it actually happened? Yeah, I was, it was, I was literally there. You know, we were we were downtown in Soho. Yeah. I re- remember it very clearly. Um, you know, we were having a, a, a meeting, a board meeting, actually, uh, early in the morning, and someone came in and said something happened, you know, a plane was hit, and we thought maybe it was a small Cessna and someone had, you know. And then we know yeah. how it played out, but we actually, we had one of the, the tallest buildings in, in downtown Soho, they're capped at about eight stories, and this was 11. Yeah. So we were on the roof. We saw it all play out. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and even unbelievable now when you think about it. Um, yeah. So, so it's a shocking time for, for yeah. all the reasons that we know. So, yeah, it, it was a turning point. And how it happened was uh, Cy reached out to me and said, look, I think I'm going to do this thing. Uh, and... Very, very cool and very flattering. He goes, but if I, if I do this thing, I'd love to, you know, make this thing happen with you. So that, was, that was pretty amazing. And again, another decision point. Actually. Leap into I'm the in unknown. A, yeah, I, unknown. I'm, I'm in a pretty good gig, the CD of, you know, this agency in America and doing some really great work um, on a, arguably at the time, you know, a very comfortable package, salary, all the good trimmings that come with that and, and living in New York. And do I take the leap to something that is unknown? Um, yeah. That we start again uh, and, and all of those things. But as with anything, any point of those decisions, I'm like, 
am I going to regret this if I don't do it? Definitely. Is it better to take the leap? Because I know what this world that I'm in now looks like. Yeah. And I have to double down and push again on that. Or and should you I go put, back there, really? Exactly. You can sort of, yeah. Should I, put all, should I put all that energy and more into something that's for us? Mm. So, so in a sense, that answered it. Yeah. And so we, um, we talked. Uh, you know, I was in New York, so I was in London, uh, you know, pretty much daily to figure out our plan, what we were going to do, what were our rule sets, you know, and we famously have a list of things we would do and wouldn't do. Yeah, uh, I like and, that. And those things helped shape uh, what we were at Sticks and Maxi. And, you know, we, we, that came back to London and we just got a small space in um, a friend's shared office. Where was I think that? we took one desk in London Bridge. Uh, yeah. And it's humble beginnings. You know, we started yeah. as two again, as Six and Maxi, and we, we did a couple of things. We made a couple of decisions. One, we wanted to make a clean break from where we were before. We didn't want to operate in the same way. Yeah. Uh, we, we felt we picked up some habits and ways of working that we, we didn't want. And we also wanted to start fresh. So we actually uh, didn't show any of our previous work. Uh, wow. It was a clean slate. And really, it was about our ideas and what we wanted to do as creative individuals. And it was a couple of things. One, we wanted to get back to the creativity and be at the, at the coalface, so to speak, but also one-to-one with clients. Really think about ideas, so not lose the scale of the work that we were doing. Think about design for life, our lives and the lives of others, you know, and how it fits in. To think about the scale and the reach of the work. So it wasn't that, oh, we were now two, so then therefore we would just, you know, kind of make smaller work. You know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just enjoyed the scale of yeah. those things. And, and so we would just meet uh, prospective clients and talk about what we'd love to do and how we think and how uh, strategy and branding and, and all of those things have value. And then, yeah, that's how we started to get our first gigs. That's brilliant. So it, was, it, was, it, was, it was humble, but also ambitious. And, you know, you just got to hustle. Definitely. Make the calls. Uh, you've got to make the list. You've got to meet people. And, you know, we moved from that one desk to the world's smallest two-man studio. <laughs> I mean, it's tiny. And then we started doing um, uh, things with LCC where we would go and host um, uh, briefs for DNAD and so on. Yeah. And we started to get interns in. So there might be three people in that very small studio. But our first project was with MTV. MTV, uh, yeah, of course. That's right. And we did MTV2, which still to this day feels like a very grounding project because it was one that we... I guess baked in um, a swagger and attitude and energy that we wanted to put into the work. It was yeah. built on insight. It was kind of had a raw visceral quality. It was us understanding the audience um, and, and creating for them. Uh, so it did a lot of firsts yeah. you know, for us. And it really, I guess, challenged the way channels worked. Uh, it had no uh, graphics per se. It was all language driven. It was made in flash uh, rather than after yeah, effects. You get a twitchy feel. So it did a lot of things that we felt felt very pure. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of a lightning rod for, for what would be for, for Dixon Maxi. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it was, it was really fun. We actually made um, a painting to capture the spirit of the brand. And, and so we were in Simon's second room, uh, creating almost like a, a Lichtenstein, I don't know, this kind of... Oh, so you uh, guys actually did that? Yeah, we, we actually painted and, and we went around Camden and we pulled billboards off the wall and found old CD players and speakers and made a triptych, almost like a, 
a nine foot by three foot painting. Yeah. That, that was our presentation to the MTV team. Oh, wow. Not a deck or no visuals. And we said, this is the world of your audience. This is a 16 year old teenager in their bedroom full of angst, disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, and this is what we're about, not in this white room. You know, we, we were, I think, 30 at the time. Our clients were about that age, maybe, but younger or older. But we don't know our audience and we have to find who they are. Yeah. And this is who they are. And, and that led to uh, the basis of the work. So it was almost yeah, like an ethnography. Yeah. yeah. And they were like blown away. They were like, mm. and it was it was great because they, they did take that painting and put it on the MTV walls and have it Brilliant. as part of the, the furniture of the, the space. That's fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. And I think I still remember that as um, visceral and, and exciting and a way of doing things that wasn't driven necessarily by data and yeah. uh, you know it had an intuition as much as insight yeah i think that's really powerful yeah definitely just doing it a bit differently absolutely well, very differently yeah yeah and we try, try and try and get that i mean you know now you kind of fast forward to brands at huge scale but if we can tap into that it makes the work more exciting definitely you know, being a fan going out to san siro for ac milan you know standing with the ultras uh, you know, as they're, yeah. they're going you know, mad in the stands, those things fuel the work. And yeah. I think when we do that, we feel better about the work because it, it's driven by an attitude um, or an understanding of who we're doing it for. So did it basically just grow from there? That I think it's really easy, I think, for people to look at what you have now. Sure. It's 50 plus people in Dixon and Baxi and yep. beautiful studios. And it's all like, it looks, you know, it's like a solid, proper... Yeah. <laughs> at you know, the top of your game company but it's almost it's easy to think that you've just been landed with that and that's of course you've got that because it's sure. kind of, it's really I think it's really interesting to see it from like the little desk in London Bridge that's right and how it grows to this and how people can do it it's possible to do it's possible I mean you it's... don't have to have rich parents that give you hundreds of thousands of pounds to no. set it all up to look like this we started just with nothing hustle your um, way up. we did take a loan uh, and we were proud that we never used it Brilliant. Uh, you know, we, we paid it back and, and yeah, it is small steps. You know, yeah. we, we had an ambition and a vision and we, we kind of say when it was our 20th birthday, you know, it's a 20 year overnight success Yeah, because it is, it's just hard work. And, um, you know, we, we made a, another choice actually, which made it, you know, harder in a sense, uh, but also more exciting is that we would stay as two yeah. uh, for as long as possible. Okay. So we didn't hire anyone. We didn't have anyone picking up the phone. We, it was just Simon and I. Oh, wow. So we were on a desk of two, a partner's desk, essentially. We had Dix Maxi, a limited company. But if you called us, one of us would call, would yeah. pick up the phone. And uh, that went on for, for quite some time. And it just meant that we were uh, closer to the work. But also it was challenging because if we were in the room with the client, there was no one back at the ranch oh, yeah, to, to work on it. So the client would say, you know, we'd love to meet your team. And we're like, we are here. This yeah. is it. And, um, but it was great because then we were hands-on making the work as well and coming up with those ideas. So it really was this essentially molding the business uh, ourselves yeah. and doing it by hand, piece by piece. And so from MTV, you know, that led to more work with MTV that led to you know, in new projects uh, in, in various areas. And and so you build it up. You, yeah. you release work and people hear about it. And you're continuing to meet people, make calls, do new business, sales, and so yeah. on, build a reputation. And again, it was probably a little bit harder. There was no LinkedIn. 
there's no kind of social, there was no platforms to put work out in the way that we have now on a global stage. Definitely. So you have to do it more manually. You yeah. Know, it was really uh, calling people up or trying to track down email or making a connection in the real world. Yeah. Um, so that is really challenging. But the work is the, the thing that, that makes a difference. Yeah. So it was work and it was recommendation. Yeah. And, you know, that studio in London Bridge then became uh, one in Chalk Farm, uh, which then turned into, we moved from Chalk Farm, if I remember rightly, to Clerkenwell. Uh, and then from Clerkenwell to, um, uh, where did we go next? Shoreditch. Uh, Shoreditch yeah. to Wapping, Wapping to here. I think I got all yeah, of Yeah, okay. So, so, and over that time, what happened was uh, to realise our work, we collaborated with people yeah. anywhere in the world. So we could make a lot of things, but we needed help with motion or help with sound or help with, uh, you know, kind of creating a, a set for, for a film. Yeah. So, you know, it's very common now to, to collaborate with people, but that's how we were able to extend and bring our work to life. And we, we made some great friends and, you know, those collaborators are super talented in their own right. Some have gone to make their own agencies. Uh, some are yeah. still doing fantastic work. So that's how we were able to expand the reach of the things that we were doing. Yeah. Uh, but there came a point where we realized actually, you know, we really needed to start bringing this in-house because we got to a kind of uneasy balance of trying to retain the ownership of our work, but then collaborating with people. Yeah, but then also having a lot of what we call experts, freelance essentially, that created a, a sort of um, a culture of, they didn't quite feel ours. It yeah, was almost okay. inherited because you have lots and lots of people that are all trying to make great work, but we really couldn't put our arms around it and yes. say, all of these people going in this direction, we believe in this thing. And, you know, you're all part of this higher ideal. So I think, you know, we, there was a turning point where we started to hire people and bring them on board. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Like it's important to... But, I guess you so your the odd experts on the side, don't absolutely you? the core team. Yeah, it's made a big difference. Important. Yeah, and I think we had to do a lot of learning, you know, um, relearning uh, how to how to build a team, mm. you know, how to uh, help empower them and grow them. And I think you know, over over the time that we've been Dixon Maxi, we've really had to adapt and change. You're know, going back to that conversation about you know learning ourselves yeah we've had to learn and adapt as a company and refocus on the on the right thing which is yeah. really people first yeah people first is yeah definitely the right way to go absolutely so how would you describe your role today what do you do today from i think something i often hear about growing and growing an agency and growing a creative company is that losing the initial people want to still be a designer sure how would you describe your role today and you still have a lot of creativity in it yeah there is it's an interesting role because you know, we're, we're at a size now, 50 plus people, where you really can't be involved in everything. You, know, yeah. you have to give space for everyone to feel empowered or have autonomy to lead projects, to make the great work, yeah. um, you know, to, to run things, to deal with clients and so on. But equally, you know, my role and Simon's is, is a couple of things. What, what From a creative point of view, we still like to be uh, involved. So we have sessions yeah. where we can get stuck into things and that's a great debate. The strategy, you know, an insight and so on, we're talking with the, the, our strategists and so on. So we're yeah. keeping close tabs on that. 
but when it comes to like transitioning that into the creative, we have a, a period of time that we call Ignite. You know, every agency has phases, but yeah. one of them is we, we put it in place because actually what's happened over the years is that we've ended up in a, in a position where we don't have to pitch for work. Yeah. That, that full ball creative pitch. That's great. So there's a, there's a value to that because it saves time, money, uh, it doesn't burn out the team and yeah. you can build a closer relationship with clients. It's more valuable and I think clients see the benefit. Of oh that. yeah. Pre-pitching we could talk about. Absolutely. A to the yeah. but, Absolutely. But what, what's happened is that pitching also has an energy to it. You want to go after something and everyone comes together and rallies behind something. That's a good so point. There's, yeah. there's a, there's sort of a fuel, it fuels invention. And yes. oftentimes that when we look back at our, our, body of work we go hmm that was a that was born in a pitch in a crucible of energy it's interesting yeah and so we're thinking well how do we resurrect that without all of the angst and tension yeah that a pitch can bring and the unpaid work and, and the unpaid the problems work with it. and yeah, all of absolutely. that so so that's what this is and we have um a number of we've kind of divided up our time so that we have almost a free form phase where it's sort of invention in an unfettered way Obviously, we're trying to get towards a brand or a solution. Yeah. How do you go wide? How do you move beyond the recipes that we know yeah. that are the, the sea of sameness out in the world yeah. that push us beyond and look uh, to architecture or art or music or um, any other things that come from ourselves in our experiences and, and try and put that into the work? So it's a free phase and a playtime, getting back to, to yeah. that, that allows us to express ourselves. So coming back to my role, it's being involved in those sessions yeah. to help stewards steer, maybe push and say, actually, you know, have we gone far enough? Um, yeah. So that's really exciting. And I, I guess, you know, the, the day job is to help support and empower and inspire the team. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We're veering here. Um, we're losing our way. You know, let's capture the magic. You know, that is really amazing. Go yes. after that. So trying to find needles in the haystack being part of uh, bigger client presentations, doing rehearsals with the team so they feel they have the ability to present. Like our interns to juniors to seniors, they all present. That's great. So we, we don't hide anyone and say you can't be involved. Oh, the worst so. thing in the world is it is having a presentation where the junior people don't know what to say and they're just exactly. in the room. And it's, yeah. It's so it's really good. nice to, to have that open. I think, again, that's been a, a big change that we've made where you, you know, typically it's like, well, it's just a CD that presents or the head of strategy. Yes. And there might be some meetings in certain environments where that's the case. Yeah, they can lead at least. Absolutely. But, but it's, it's just so amazing. And everyone's here for a reason that, it, you know, everyone presents their own work. Um, you know, everyone's part of the conversation. But the, the other part of the day job is it's, it's talking to everyone, uh, creating a space that everyone feels safe and excited about yeah. creating great work and not maybe losing their way. And that's okay. Bringing energy. So there's kind of a, a spirit and uh, a, a vibrancy that is, I think, really powerful. Yeah. That, that, you know, certainly in COVID times, we had to almost over-index on that, you know, to do that through Slack or, you know, on video or to help people feel good about what they're doing um, yeah. and say, actually, you know, that feels really great. So emojis are always powerful, oh, definitely. Um, you know, sharing one-to-ones, you know, feeling good there. Maybe you could try that. So more direct and immediate yeah. feedback. But then the other, the other part of the role is what next, you know, where are we going next? You know, planning for 2023, 24. Yeah. Uh, we have Dixon Baxi projects that we, we try and build 
there's also other facets of the business. You know, what, what are we doing in terms of new work? How are we curating yeah. that? And how, are we, how are we talking about ourselves? Yeah. Uh, is that a true reflection of us? You know, how are we uh, benefiting people in the industry? Are we uh, recruiting the right people? Are we talking to Absolutely. the right people? I think all of those things are part of the creative process. So yeah. although they may not be, you know, working on the work, they are working on the creative industry or the creative endeavor that is the company. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's really multifaceted. And, and it's this, I think this ability of being at 30,000 feet or, or higher. Yeah. Um, and then coming right down to, well, actually, you know, we're really crafting that piece of work, you know. So it's this kind of, Micro macro ability, yeah, I like that. and and we, we try and bake that into to everyone to the ability to say, well, actually, you know, do we really care about this particular piece of work or that logo or identity or or that Bezier curve or whatever it is? And then look, can you step back and see the big picture? And are we even doing the right thing? Yeah, is this actually delivering on the ambition or the brief or or those? Do you think that sort of questioning is how you fuel your own creativity? I think so. I, yeah. I think the best way to help people uh, find their voice or find what's great about the work is to ask questions. Mm. You know, how can we make that better? Yeah, you know, how right. does that make you feel? Uh, you know, okay, put the lens of your uh, mum on this. Yeah. You know, what, what does she see or uh, your friends see? You know, how does that change your lens on this thing? So, yeah, I, I think you have, to, you have to ask those questions and they... They fuel, they certainly fuel what we do. And I think there's always a sort of intent to try and outperform ourselves. Yeah. But also, you know, we talked about starting to get com- uncomfortable, doing things that feel inventive. I think it gets harder and harder because essentially a lot of things have been done. Yes. Either by ourselves or by the millions of people out there. And so you're trying to find something new and different and original. And it's, I think, one of the hardest things hardest questions to ask is is it good enough yeah or, or being honest about that because it's almost easy to in the need to kind of create democracy and be nice and 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 you want to create a safe space you can round the edges and you can go hmm, actually i think we'll let that pass so it's like how do you get to excellence which is really hard work that last 10 percent, that last two percent yeah and do it in a way that feels energized and like we can make it just a little bit better yeah. without burning people out and, yes. and all of that. It's a real fine balance. And, yeah, that really and, is. And I think that's something that we, we constantly wrestle with. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a an interesting kind of ongoing challenge. And you know, we always ask ourselves, you know, whatever the external opinion of us is and whatever work we put out, and everyone curates, you know, yeah. the, the ideal. Uh, inside, we need to hold ourselves to, you know, high benchmark. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. sometimes quite hard to to reach or, or to look at yourself and say, actually, I think we've, we're not hitting that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. What about, so can I ask you from that design industry point of view? Sure. Are there any aspects of the design industry that you find challenging or you'd like to change or? I, I found the industry to be um, getting much more open. Uh, and maybe uh, that's like maybe that. partly that, you know, again, I come back to COVID. We felt that we needed to reach out more. Uh, yes. I think that we found that clients um, and, you know, other agency partners and peers are just more open to a conversation. 
yeah. that 20 minute chat uh, over coffee to just have a connection in a very difficult time yeah. when we were at home, I think is, you know, for what was a challenging time has actually been a positive outcome that, you know, clients who may have been too busy or um, wouldn't take a call were just open to having a chat. Yeah, and I think it's just sort of level. It benefits everyone. It's level the playing field. So I, I think that is a good thing. Yeah, I think the other thing that everyone's got an eye on, and hopefully in the right way, is the next generation. You know, I think that's Definitely. been a, a conversation. You know, certainly we were talking earlier about NAD and yeah, there's young blood. And there's, there's all sorts of things that are apparent, but I think everyone can do better. Yeah, and the the for us, you know, we've always felt very diverse you know yeah. now in our perspective you know we are lucky enough to work with clients globally so that's meant that we've had to have a perspective on different cultures and yeah, not export shortage to the world yeah uh, is to yeah, kind of yeah, learn, learn uh, and be open to that and as a team we're really uh, you know found ourselves quite naturally having a very diverse team yeah you know uh, whether that's um male female whether that's uh, people from different parts of the world I think we have 19 different nationalities in our 15. Wow, really? Yeah, you know, it's really pretty cool. Yeah, um, that's really... And you say naturally, but I know you do other things as well to actually find these people. And we do. I think it's really easy to sit in a position of owning an agency sure. and say, well, it's not my fault everyone's that's right. exactly the same. It's just the people that apply for the job. Yeah. But it depends how you go about finding those people and where you put the ads out and where you look. And I think you're right. You know, yeah. there, is, there is an intention. You know, you could say... On the one hand, you don't want to say, well, actually, you know, it's calculated because you don't want it to feel like we're, we're doing it to- as a token, a right? To, yeah, no, a absolutely. It's, it's to sense. get the best creativity. It's yeah, not, and, and, and I think the, the way we've, we've, we've done it is I think you have, to, you have to have a wider net. Yeah. You have to make decisions and look deeper and further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our relationships with schools and colleges and, absolutely. and intern programs you know, we have an intern academy yeah. that brings people from around the world or from underrepresented backgrounds or from people who haven't necessarily had the opportunity to have a voice. Yeah. Um, those things matter. And I think you have to actually make the choice to engage. And so we have, Definitely. and I think it's benefited us. And um, I, I think it's ultimately benefiting the industry because yeah. that is something that you it's, it's table stakes, really. And, and it's exciting because you, you bring different voices in. Yeah, um, it's the best way to get the best creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, the more we do that, the, the better. And I think, so those things, I think, are, are still a, a challenge for the industry to yes. continue to, to get better. And, um, you know, and I, I would say that you, you can see it quite clearly sometimes when you're on a Zoom call. And you see the faces in the room. Yeah, uh, we we get asked that question, you know, a lot by clients about the diversity of the team. Yeah, um, you see that in judging panels. Uh, if you talk about awards, definitely. Uh, you know, you see that in um, in all sorts of states. And if you if you lock in on it, you realise there there is a, a balance that still needs to be worked. Oh, on. massively! I think it's it's really interesting if you look at it from how change actually happens. I think there's a desire for change anywhere, a desire for more diversity in design. But I think things like big companies, big corporations, 
demanding diversity yeah. means you have to do it anyway, or yeah. else you're just not going to win their certain projects. And Absolutely. Attack it from all areas, basically. Yeah, but it has, it has to be for the right reasons. And then you have to use yeah. the skills of those people for, for what they have, right? You, you, it's not, as you say, a box-sticking exercise. Yeah. But it was funny, actually. We, we were um, doing another podcast a few weeks back, and, uh, you know, we were saying, hmm, your lineup seems to skew to uh, what we might expect. Uh, you know, kind of male, a uh, certain generation, and so on. Yeah. And the, the person was saying, well, it's just, I don't know, it's just really hard to find uh, a more diverse group. And I said, well, you just maybe have to look harder. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think you know, we did a, a speaking engagement at the top of the year, of last year. And again, you know, you look at the speakers and it does, it has a skew. But, um, you know, and I think we just can so easily work harder to to change that and yeah. that's that's choice it's simply who you reach out to and the invitations yeah you make. definitely um so i think that that's a, a positive but also something to work on and then the other the other thing i think that's a big challenge is is as, it, as we were saying before the sea of sameness you know it's an often used term but yeah. i think the fact that you know any creative sees everything uh, you know and we all see the same stuff uh, so whether it's behind some interest or, you know, you, you go to certain platforms and we, if we absorb the same things, then we are what we eat almost. Yeah. You know, the same things come out and it's very hard to avoid uh, with the best world. So you have to fuel yourself with new things and you have to hold yourself to uh, saying, well, you know what? I think I've seen that before. That feels derivative. Yeah. Uh, let me, let's move to a different space. How can we, how can we do that different? How can we reject that convention? So I think that's a, a, another big challenge yeah. uh, that we all face and, and the industry faces. And, and I've got to say, you know, there is a lot of good work out there. But how do you get it to great? How do you stand out? How do you make it different? I think we can always reach for better. Wanting to reach for better, I Absolutely. think, is the, the way to do it, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to have a desire and drive. And I think that's the fuel uh, that should drive anything, not a, an award or um, any of those things, it's a, it should be, I guess, a personal desire to to try and make something that is uh, better or great, and and it takes steps. Yeah. You're not necessarily going to be there. And what one thing I will say is that um, coming back to our journey, is that it takes time. Yeah, I think there is uh, potentially a rush to get to the top. Whatever yes. the top is, and I haven't reached it yet. <laughs> you know, there's a, it feels like there's like always a, there's always another mountain. Yeah, uh, there's always another thing. You you reach a crest and think I've made it. This is this is the best of things, but there's something else behind it. I think when you feel you're at the top, it's possibly a dangerous place to be. Isn't Absolutely, you're not going to be there for long. Ex- exactly. You know, and you know, it might give you a perspective that there's something else. But I think. I think for anyone starting you know, on their journey or in their journey is to realize that it's a career. Yeah. You know, we've been doing this for a long time, 25 years or so. And that's a long time. Yeah. And you don't have to rush to be, you know, the, the next rung on the sort of, you know, ladder, you know, from a junior to senior to a DB or whatever. Definitely. Um, enjoy the work and everything will come. Yeah. I think that's really important is, is, is the work and your enjoyment of it and your passion for it. And that will show through and hopefully others will see that and you will get those accolades. I think it has to yes. be that way around. Um, and it always really, has yeah, to be that. It has to be that way around. Don't 
try and shoot for the stars too early and try and get to the top. Yeah, it's a nice ambition to have. But then what are you going to do? You get to being, uh, you know, that at quite a young age. I think it's fantastic because you might, um, you know, get to do lots of things that you may not have been able to do, travel or, or work on bigger projects. Yeah. But the, the creative journey is a long one. Yeah. And it's good to bake in sort of those formative steps and enjoy the Definitely. ride. Definitely. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you about top tips to people sort of starting out. Sure. And, but I think that's a pretty damn good one, really. The enjoy the ride and don't don't race through it. Basically. Yeah, don't race through it. You know, it's it's like it, it's it's just trying to you're, you're you're you've got a fine meal before you and you're just like ah just shoveling it down. Just enjoy every course. Yeah. You know uh, because it's to be savored. And, and I think in terms of tips, it's sort of if you if you're starting out. You know, and what, whatever you're doing, you know, we talk a lot about being a creative, being a designer. So if yeah. we're talking specifically about being a creative and being a designer, be curious. Yeah. I, I would say just make things, you know, yeah. um, don't over-intellectualize stuff, uh, prototype, make things, you know, hack. I, I think that always works for us here. You know, we always say to everyone, if you've got an idea, just do, just do a quick test, make it real. If it's tangible, it starts to contest it. You can look at it. Yeah. You can play around with it. Other people might be interested in it and it starts to grow. So I would say always make stuff, never be afraid of that. Yeah. Um, you know, be curious, ask questions. That's often a, a common tip, but it's a, a really important one. If you don't understand, I, say. I think it's okay to say, can you explain that? You yeah. Know, I, I don't think anyone, you know, we always say, especially when we, working with new clients is that we're coming into this fresh yeah we, we don't know about your business we know maybe about the industry or the sector but we don't know about you so we're going to play yeah going to play dumb a little bit you know yeah. some basic questions to get inside that i think that that applies to to anyone and then but then if you move outside of the, the design role you know an agency has producers and account managers and strategists and you know, people who run the studio, mm. you know, the same things apply is, you know, make things, be proactive, try and be additive, ask questions. And we always yeah. say it, it's sort of, it's sort of the yes and instead of the no but. It's like, how can you add something? Yeah, I like that. You know? And we always say, take pride in everything you do. If you, yeah, if you take hold of something and that is, you know, whether you're, you're intern and you've been asked to do something that you consider maybe not highly creative, like make a cup of tea. Yeah. Make the best tea you can. Yeah. You know, enjoy that. Um, if you're doing a creative job and someone else has worked on it and you've got it, take responsibility. It's you're accountable. How do you make it better? How do you yeah. add something to it? How do you get excited about it? So I always go back to feeling excited about the work. Yeah. Uh, and and in a sense, being true to yourself. I think whenever I've tried to be someone else, it never works. Um, I always come back to, well, actually, my gut's telling me I should do this. Yeah. So maybe I should trust that. And it, it's liberating. Yes, so I would say that agreeing. that's really important. Um, you know, we, we just did a, a new season of the Dixon Maxi Way, which is a series that I guess reveals the, the ethos and truth of, behind creativity. And, yeah, and so on. Great. But you've had the team involved in that simon and i did the first series and now we've got the team talking about it so you've got all ages and all backgrounds and experiences and one of the things they talk about is imposter syndrome and how they get past that and everyone has it yeah it's really important it's, it's something that we can acknowledge and it's okay to say yeah you know there are times when i i'm not sure about things and i have to 
think about things or chat to Sai or the team. And it happens to everyone. And I think the, the way to get past that is to is to face it off and actually, again, make things. And yeah, you, know, you find that actually uh, everyone suffers from it and you have to take control of it by by doing things. And with action, you know, you, yeah. you get past a lot it's of really those easy. blocks. I've yeah. Yeah, spent so long thinking, oh, I can't be more like that. Or they're doing sure. a really good job. I should Absolutely. do that. I should be. But you've really got to be true to yourself and just be as creative as you can, really. I think so. You know, we, we're, we're bombarded with um, these idealised worlds. Yeah. You look on Instagram, uh, any social media, and it's a it's an idealised state. Yeah, and I'm on that Everyone one. is amazing, you know. Um, every yeah. piece of work is curated. You don't see the messiness behind, you know. Yeah. Uh, and we, we find that with clients and businesses. We're like, wow, but you're from the outside, you look amazing. You're doing so well. And inside, it's siloed or dysfunctional. And that's why they need some help. Yeah. So I think, you know, don't, don't believe your own hype. Don't believe the hype. And again, yeah, you know, don't, don't get too caught up in that because it's um, it, it can... Well, we know social media can, can depress Definitely. And, um, you know, I find it, you look through things, you're like, wow, man, they're doing something amazing. If you're going to use it, use it to fire you up. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know, we need to raise our benchmark where we can do something different. Yeah. So I think a healthy way of looking at it is propelling you or inspiring you not to say, oh, I'm not doing that. Yes, use yeah. it to fire you up. I think it's very good. Exactly. Very good advice. Yeah. Oh, Paul, thank you so much. This has been really, yeah, love the conversation. Amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, it's hopefully useful to whoever listens to it. I, yeah, I really absolutely. enjoyed it. I think, um, you know, it's fantastic. Uh, looking back, uh, but I also, you know, what we like to do, what I like to do is look ahead yeah. uh, as to what's coming up, you know, and uh, I'm really excited for, for the future because of all the things we talked about, you know, being more transparent and open, yeah, me too. Uh, you know, being more engaged in the community and the yeah. next generation. I think it's up to us to help support that you know we've had uh, support from others so i think it's now our opportunity to to give back as well yeah completely agree amazing thank, thank you thank you